Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. Whether you're a first-time listener or a faithful returning listener, thank you for your support. Real quick, I want to ask you to do two things. Uh, First, be sure to like, subscribe, this podcast, all of that, so that other people can also find it, hear the messages and the stuff we put out. Secondly, I want you to take up an opportunity to support the mission and vision of God at this church, if you haven't done so already, uh, by giving, uh, giving to what God is doing and the ways that he is moving here at Life Canton. Take uh, take that opportunity via uh, our Church Center app, or you can do it online, but it's important that we support the activity of God uh, with our finances and with our trust. Uh, Also, don't forget that we are in our series on Mark. Uh, This is week four, I believe. Uh, We've been going through chapter by chapter over the summer and just taking a really deep dive into Mark. Uh, Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Jared. He's going to talk all about evangelism. So give that a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a few minutes. Thank you so much. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Happy Fourth of July weekend-ish. We're almost there, although my neighborhood... Uh, started 4th of July on June 15, as far as I'm concerned, because the fireworks have been going off like crazy. Uh, last night, I was up, to, I think, till 1 in the morning because uh, our entire neighborhood thinks that it was 4th of July yesterday. And so they were going insane on their fireworks. And it's not just like the bottle rockets and the little black cat things. It's like the kind that shakes your chest to the point where you question life, Right. <laughs> And so uh, I was up late last night, and I'm, I now realize I'm a grumpy old man. Now, like, I've, I've crossed the threshold. That's where I'm at. Um, but I'm also one of the pastors here, so that's fun. And I am glad that you are here, and I hope that you can get connected, especially if you're new here. Maybe this is your first time, first couple times that you've been here. There's a QR code that's going to come up on the screen. You can scan that with your phone, and then uh, we'll help you get connected. Otherwise, if you have any trouble with the phone or you don't have a phone, just visit us out in the lobby. We'd be happy to help you get connected in that way as well. I also want to let you know that if there is a specific uh, or more intentional way that you want to get connected with us, some of you have been here longer than just a couple weeks, and, uh, and you like what you're experiencing, you want to be more intentionally involved, uh, we have something called partnership. And so we actually have a partner lunch that's happening on Sunday, July 16. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about what it means to be a partner, uh, to be more involved in the life of the church, uh, you can come on July 16. It is not you signing up for anything, it's just coming to learn more about the process. Then we'll share some food together, talk about our code, talk about our church, and answer any questions that you might have as well. So you can sign up on the Church Center app, or again, you can visit us in the lobby and we'll uh, get you hooked up there. We're in a series called Mark. If you've missed any part of it, you can always go back and listen to it on the podcast, or you can watch the messages uh, as well. And we are going to be in Mark chapter 4. And as I was looking at sort of the overarching theme of Mark 4, it is very evangelistic in its nature. And if you're newer to church, that word evangelism or evangelistic simply just means telling of good news, telling good news. Uh, And it's not unique to just the Bible. It was a common uh, idea and common word in the ancient world as well. But this specific passage is very evangelistic in its nature, in its themes. And I don't know what it was like for you growing up, if you grew up in the church, but what I would have been told in an evangelistic message was something like this. 
All right, we're going to talk about evangelism today, so I'm going to give you four easy steps to do successful evangelism and the 10 Bible verses that will guarantee you win every argument about the Bible in less than 30 minutes. Are you ready to go? Here we go. Get your pens. And some of you, if that were the case, you would get up and walk out. Uh, that would not be the message for you. And then some of you would be like, all right, I've got my pen ready. I hope that's what the message is today. That's the extreme of where we're at in a place like this. There's, there's a spectrum of what we expect to hear when we talk about evangelism. And some of us, that has a positive connotation, that word does, and some of us maybe a bit more negative, and then everybody else is kind of in between somewhere. And there are expectations put on all of us as, as church people, as followers of Jesus. There's also expectations placed on pastors and how they should share a message about evangelism and what messages should be. There's one uh, pastor who I, I follow from time to time, read, read their books, uh, but he talked about the feedback that he got from people over many years of doing ministry, and he took all of this feedback that he was given on sermons specifically and consolidated it into one specific, uh, sort of one ordered uh, series of phrases that he heard over and over again about what was expected of him to share in a message, specifically as it related to being evangelistic. Here's what he said. Be vulnerable and honest and personal, but not too personal because this isn't a therapy session. And we need lots of Bible and not too much because it has to relate to what's happening in our lives and in the world today. But it can't be political and it has to be challenging and deep and significant and at the same time easy for everybody to understand. And it has to be funny, but not too funny because you're not a comedian, you're a pastor. And while you're at it, mix it up and try new things and don't get in a rut. But make sure to be consistent. Talk about your own struggles, but not too much because that's depressing. And we love stories about your family, but not too many. That can be weird. Just be vulnerable and honest and... Pressure. Pressure to be a pastor. Pressure to be evangelistic. Pressure for all of you. I've heard so many of you feel like there's this order, this process, and I'm so afraid to fail, and I don't know enough Bible verses, but I'm also not super relatable, and I'm just, I'm just afraid that I'm going to mess it up somehow, and so I just won't share my faith at all because I'm not fully equipped to do it. And then sometimes it's not so much what you know or what you don't know, but it's the motivation behind being evangelistic. And this can happen at a young age, students, even for you. My daughter uh, is 10 years old. She went to a vacation Bible school at another church with a friend of hers. And I was asking, you know, what are some of the things that you learned? And within the middle of the week, the thing that she learned was that if you don't go and share your faith, then you could be sending somebody else to hell. She's 10 and already... This is the motivation for evangelism for her. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we creating unnecessary pressure on ourselves and on our pastors and on our leaders for what evangelism looks like? Evangelism is the word good news, but we have made it bad news. When we talk about our processes, our order, and there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do evangelism. And so because of all of that pressure or because of the misguided motivations, we end up just not doing it at all. So let's look at Jesus. Does he make it this complicated? Does he add all of this pressure on us? I mentioned Mark chapter 4 is evangelistic. How does Jesus go about talking about this? I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to go to Mark chapter 4, verses 33 to 34. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screens. And we can read it together in that way. This is what it says. 
Once Jesus had everyone's attention and all the adults got their kids checked into the hillside nursery, he opened up the book of Leviticus. He taught them line by line. That's the only way to do it. The instructions for how to be better and how to do better. Oh, wait, no, that's not, that's not at all what it says, actually. That's not at all what it says. But here's the thing. This is what we have convinced ourselves. This is what the Bible says. This is what we want it to say, or this is what we feel pressured for it to say, that there is a right way, there is a wrong way. Be better, do better. Our friend Kevin Butcher says he is trying to strip away, just do it, Christianity. Just be better. Just do the thing, do the stuff. And if you're not doing it, well, then Jesus is going to cry, and he's going to be really upset with you. Here's the thing, I recognize that we are an increasingly multicultural church. And so sometimes sarcasm doesn't always get across that way, but I am using that sarcasm very intentionally to shake us up out of the fog that we have been living in, specifically in this culture, when it comes to evangelicalism. And these rules that we have placed on ourselves for what sharing faith and sharing good news actually looks like. We need to be recalibrated in our understanding of what Jesus actually does and how he actually talks about God in the New Testament. Let's look at what it actually says. It says Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations. He's referring to parables. He's been giving uh, a parable. He's going to talk about two more parables. And there's this sort of inter, interlude, if you will, where it says this. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. You're told in a relationship to never use the words never and always. You never do this. I always, right? Like you're never supposed to do that. And yet Mark uses it here. He uses the extreme. He never taught unless he was sharing a story, a parable, helping it to relate to their everyday circumstances. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. I want to talk about the importance. This is kind of a, a passage that many of us would sort of blow past, but I actually think it's incredibly important to talk about the way of Jesus and his intentions with what he's doing, especially as it relates to evangelism, sharing good news, sharing our faith. And as I've kind of alluded to already, in the church world, there is this sort of unwritten rule that there is a very specific ordered process for how you share good news. And you cannot deviate from that process, otherwise you're going to do it wrong and you're going to be held responsible. Except that Jesus never got that memo. He just told stories to most of the people. That's all he did. He didn't follow a specific order, a specific process. He just told stories. And here's the thing. Did Jesus use the Bible? Absolutely, he did. He used the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't exist yet, so it's important to understand that context. And he was intentional with how he used the scriptures and with whom he used the scriptures. Specifically, the religious leaders, and often uh, in, in crowds where they were discussing theology, but then even in the wilderness when he's confronted by the evil one, by Satan, he uses the scriptures. But in his public ministry, to the majority of people, he just told stories. Is he allowed to do that? 
Are we okay with Jesus doing that? I thought he was supposed to go line by line. There's a specific process. This is what we in the church world sometimes do. We, We create these unnecessary standards for Jesus that Jesus never created for himself. And I love what it says. He taught them as much as they could understand. Notice the compassion and the gentleness in the motivation of Jesus. He's not trying to say that these people are dumb, they don't get it. No, he's teaching them at a level that makes sense so that they can learn. I heard an educator once say, you are only a teacher to the extent that people are learning something. Otherwise, if they're not learning, you're just a speaker. If nobody's learning anything, then what's the point of teaching? It's not teaching at that point. You're just talking. He teaches them so that they can understand. What can they understand? Well, they can understand their everyday things around them. He tells stories. And notice the difference of his audience. This is important to observe in the way of Jesus is that he always knows his audience. He makes a distinction, Mark does, between the difference of his uh, public ministry and his private discipleship when he was alone with them. There's a difference. And I think it's worth noting that this this, um, environment here, this is not private discipleship. I don't know where all of you are at in your faith. Some of you have been in the faith for years. Some of you are here and you're on your last leg here and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God's existence anymore, but I'm going to hold out. That's the spectrum of what exists in this room. This cannot be private discipleship. And so, yeah, we do try to tell a lot more stories, try to make it relatable, not because we think you can't get it, not because we think you're dumb, but because there are varying levels of faith journeys represented here in this room. It's important, according to the way of Jesus, to know your audience when you're talking about what it looks like to share faith, to share good news. Know your audience. When I was in high school, though, and students, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I was taught that sharing faith was a one-size-fits-all. Just do it and do it correctly. It was almost like I was leading, walking somebody through how to put uh, together a piece of Ikea furniture, right? And you know the, the challenge with that, that if you miss a piece, if you're losing a piece, the whole thing is going to fall apart, right? The same is true with what I was told about evangelism. If you miss this part, Jared, that's on you. Their faith is going to fall apart. And quite frankly, we wonder if your faith is going to fall apart too. Notice the pressure and the rules in that. In fact, I, um, I was so involved and so passionate uh, and felt this pressure that I had to share my faith that I went to this thing in the summer of my junior year and senior year called SEMP. It stands for Students Equipped to Minister to Peers. And so we got put on this college campus and in the morning uh, we spent time going through a training, really, just understanding our four-step or five-step or ten-step process. And then we were given these cards um, that we had to walk people through. And then in the afternoon, we were sent out into downtown Chicago and we were sent two by two into these different areas to talk to people and to try to lead them to Jesus with our specific process, our specific ordering. And then we had to walk them through this little card. And then once you got them to sign the card, you were good to go. You moved on to the next person. And then uh, there was, <laughs> I'm remembering even this one moment where I walked into this park and this guy is rock climbing. He's towards the top. And I said, hey, can you come down? I have something important to talk to you about. He's just trying to enjoy his day. 
But I've got to get through my process because in the evening, what we did is we all gathered together, like 1,000, 2,000 high school students in this big auditorium. And there was praise and worship and there was a speaker. But then was the big moment where certain students got invited up on stage because they were the super successful ones, the super spiritual ones, and they filled out a whole stack of cards. And so if you got to fill out a whole stack of cards because you had all of these conversations with all of these people, then you were invited up on stage to be essentially praised by all of your peers. I never got invited on stage. I didn't get all of the cards. And I remember feeling secretly jealous inside, but also really discouraged. Maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe I didn't say the right things. Maybe I failed actually. And man, is, is my faith even strong enough? Began to question Well, maybe I'm just not bold enough. Maybe I'm too shy about my faith. And man, there's a scripture that says, if I'm ashamed of Jesus, then I'm ashamed of the gospel and and, and, bad things are going to happen to me. And you just go down this spiral process of fear and anxiety and pressure. That's what I felt back then. And now, fast forward, and I still feel discouragement, but in a different kind of way. Because I feel discouraged by the shame of what I was led to believe that this is what sharing good news looks like. Forcing people to do a certain kind of thing, to pray a certain kind of prayer. Using fear tactics like, well, you know where you're going to go when you die? Like my daughter received as a 10-year-old kid. If you don't do this, that's on your hands. And then I began to feel discouraged and ashamed in a sense that I made people into projects. I just want to stop and say that if you have ever been made to feel like somebody else's project, I am so sorry. That is not the heart of God. Fear and manipulation is not the heart of Jesus when it comes to sharing good news. Because that's not good news at all. It's fearful news. It's intimidation. It's manipulation to convince people that there's only one way to do this. And if you mess it up, well, then that's on your hands. Their salvation is in your hands. Why do we overcomplicate things? Why do we set standards higher than what Jesus even sets for himself? Why do we use fear tactics as a motivation to share good news? As if to say, well, there's only one way to do this to get people to pray a prayer, to ask Jesus into their hearts, which is, by the way, something Jesus never even said. Never said that. One thing he did say, though, is he talked about being light. He talked about light a whole lot. He said, I'm the light of the world. Why would he talk about light? Why would he talk about a commodity so simple? Here's the thing, in the ancient world, light is a valuable asset, especially when 50% of your day is darkness, right? You don't have electricity. Coming by the light of a candle or a fire was a very big deal in that world. Everybody needs light. Everybody understands the importance of light and needing to be able to see, yes, but also for a sense of safety and security in your village, knowing what's coming. If there's a wild animal that's in your village, light is a precious commodity. And Jesus talked about light all of the time. In fact, he talks about it in this chapter. I want to show you what he says about light in another parable. He says this, starting in verse 21. Then Jesus asked them, 
Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. I want to acknowledge something just about this last phrase for just a second. I notice, you know, it would be one thing to say Jesus never used fear tactics or Jesus never made them feel pressure or anxiety, but this sentence would kind of kind of give you that feeling of like trying to tell you what's at stake. Like if, this, if you don't do this, then this bad thing could happen. What I want to point out is that he would use this phrase in other passages when he's talking about why he shares parables. And what he's trying to communicate is to say that there are people who they have some understanding, but they're not listening because they've got it all figured out. It's the Pharisees, it's the religious leaders, the people who want nothing to do with Jesus because they have their specific way of how to be, how to live, what to do. And so they're not going to pay attention to Jesus. This is actually directed more so at the people who think they've got it all figured out than it's directed at the general crowd. But I want to walk through this just a little bit, this parable of light. And this parable serves, as I said, kind of a, an interlude or an intermission, if you will. It's in between these three other parables that he talks about, and all three of those parables are parables about seed, different kinds of seed. He talks about a farmer scattering seed. He talks about this seed that grows, and then he talks about a mustard seed. And in the middle of all of that, there's this other parable, which is kind of a a story to tell why he's telling stories, which is kind of frustrating too for some of us. We're just like, look, you already told the story. Just tell us what it means. Stop speaking in code, Jesus. Just give it to me straight, right? But instead, he tells another story to explain the story. And this story is so excruciatingly simple. We need light. You need a lamp for light so you can see. Everybody understands that, right? Like it's not, it's not complex. It's not hard. Of course, if you have a lamp, it should light up the room. Nobody would cover that. So simple. And he only takes two sentences or two verses to really talk about the importance of light. But then he's finished with that metaphor and he kind of moves into different metaphors. I want you to see the next part. He talks about uh, not only what you see, but then you have ears to hear. Now he's talking about what we hear. If you have ears to hear, you should hear, you should pay attention, you should listen. And then he moves on from ears to understanding. Now, understanding is the New Living Translation. Most translations use this word measure. Uh, you will measure with what you've been given a measure. It, it's, it's a sort of complicated way of talking about the importance of paying attention, which is why the New Living Translation just translates it to understanding. So we're talking about eyes to see and light to be able to help us to see. We're talking about ears that we can hear, and now we're talking about understanding. And it's not just understanding in the sense of what we understand in our brains. That's a part of it. But in the Jewish world, understanding was so much more holistic. It was, yes, the mind, but the heart, the soul, the stomach. They would have a Hebrew word called your nefesh. It's a word that we get soul, your, your entire being, your insides. That is what they mean by understanding. So we're talking about your sight, your 
hearing and your understanding. It's holistic. It's so much more. In other words, learning about the way of God through Jesus is experiential, not just logical, not just processes, not just numbered bullet points, just get through the pro. No, 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 no. It speaks to so much more of who we are, our entire being. It is experiential. Here's the thing. Have you ever thought about this phrase that Jesus is one who taught with authority? Have you heard that before? He was authoritative. Sometimes when you think about that word, authoritative, I was talking about it with somebody at our last service. They think, when they think of, they hear the word authority, it's, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. That's what we tend to think about when we think about authority. But I think it's actually broader and deeper than that. Jesus taught as one who had authority, not just that he had better rules, not that he had, you know, better PowerPoints or that his voice was more powerful. No, he spoke as one who had authority over all of our being. Why does he tell stories? He tells stories because stories have the impact on our whole being, our heart, soul, mind, spirit, strength, stomach, emotions, all of who we are can be impacted by stories. Think about the the greatest movie that you recently watched or a song that you heard or a novel that you read and think about the way that it moved you, the way that it made you think differently, the way that it caused you to be transformed or to be moved to action. See, stories have so much greater of an impact because they they impact our entire being experientially. Logic can only take us so far. But experiential learning is the only thing that can transform our character. This is why Jesus tells stories. This is why Jesus doesn't reduce it to a step-by-step bulleted practice, process. And here's the thing, it is holistic. It has this ability to impact us in a great way, it does. It's transformative. And while it is holistic, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all complete or all resolved. What do I mean by that? I think that's important to talk about. I want to show you verse 22 again and look at a different word. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. How many of you have secrets? You don't have to raise your hand. Never mind. I, I, sometimes we think about this word secret like I have something to hide, I'm kind of ashamed of, I don't really want you to know about it, I have skeletons in my closet. That's not the kind of secret that Jesus is talking about here. This word secret is actually the Greek word apocryphon, which is where we get this word apocryphal or apocrypha or apocalyptic, which is not actually a scary word at all. It just simply means revelation. Something is revealed. Well, what is being revealed in this passage? What's the secret or the mystery that's a little bit hidden that will eventually be brought into the open? Well, let's keep it in the context. What he's been talking about are three parables about the kingdom of God, about a seed, a seed that eventually grows into something, right? The kingdom of God is going to grow. But the kingdom of God is also this thing that's a little bit mysterious. It's, a, it's blurry, but it's slightly coming into focus. It's here, but it's not fully expressed just yet. We don't fully understand it. In other words, 
We don't have all of the answers yet about what God is up to or about what God is doing. Which is also a reason we can release ourselves from this pressure that when we're sharing faith or when we're sharing good news, you don't have to have all of the answers to all of the possible questions that somebody asks you. That pressure is not on you. Jesus doesn't even put that pressure on them. He doesn't even put that pressure on himself. He's the one that usher into the kingdom, usher everybody else into the, God's kingdom, and yet he says it's not fully here yet, but will eventually be brought into the open. There's no more pressure. And here's the thing is we are addicted to solving everything, to completing everything, to resolving all of our challenges. Jesus doesn't do that for them. In fact, look at the mustard seed parable. It reads like this. It's like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God, that's planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all of the seeds, and it is. It's, it's almost microscopic. It's so tiny. But it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows. Long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Now, we would look at that and be like, okay, so the kingdom of God, it starts out small, but it does grow, and it grows to be quite large. That's really good. But to them... This would have kind of been like that, that sound effect on the Price is Right. Like it's like a, oh, bummer, right? You know why? Because when it grows into one of the largest uh, branches, the largest garden plants, it's big, but it's not, like, it's not like big and powerful. It's not like a big, mighty oak tree. It's not anything to look at and be like, now that's where I get my strength. It's, it's kind of a bummer. And it would have been to this first century audience because who are they up against at the time? In their world, all they know is this giant, mighty Roman Empire. That's what they're hoping to overcome. And so it would have been better if Jesus could say, now it starts off as a small seed, but it grows into this military industrial complex where we all get guns and bazookas and we'll all be able to take over all of the military Roman Empire. No, it doesn't, doesn't turn into that. No, it grows into a giant bush where birds can come and make their home. (laughs) Now, what does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about God's authority? About God's power? About his kingdom? That his rule and reign show up in a different way? They don't show up through military might and aggressive power. They show up through love and justice. A home for the birds means God's kingdom is a refuge for the vulnerable. Are you weak? Are you tired? Are you stressed out about the messages and the pressure of evangelism maybe that you've been taught? Evangelism is all about telling of the good news that there is a refuge for the vulnerable. That's it. That's how simple it is. There's no pressure there. There's no pressure to have all of the answers. There's no pressure to order a certain process and to make sure that you get all of the pieces and, oh my goodness, if you miss one of the pieces, then their salvation is in your hands. No. Can you provide refuge for the vulnerable? I don't want to give you another process to follow, but I do want to observe three things that I see in this passage. First of all, to know our audience. Know your audience. Who are you talking to? 
What's their story? Is it about you getting through your script and sharing your bullet points? Or can you share something with them that creates a refuge for their vulnerability? Create a safe place as well as a brave space. Doesn't mean it's going to be uh, free from discomfort. There might be some discomfort there, but that's okay. Just know who you're talking to. The second thing is show and tell. Show and tell compelling stories. How many of you remember show and tell or you had show and tell? Raise your hand. If you uh, grew up at school, you got to go to school and do show and tell. Did anybody get stressed out by show and tell? Probably not. It was like, hey, go home, find something, uh, maybe a toy, maybe something in your home that you want to bring back to school and tell us about it. Nobody's stressed out about that. You just go find your favorite toy. For me, it was sticks and rocks. Uh, And so you go and you bring that thing to school and then you tell all of your friends about that thing. You didn't have to rehearse it. You didn't have to think about your report of what you were going to tell and, and all of the metrics that go along with why that's a successful toy to be playing with. Like none of that. Like you didn't do that. You were just a kid telling about this toy that made you uh, happy, that brought you joy. But then the moment we talk about, hey, you're going to be sharing about a book report by somebody else that wrote this book and you have to lay out all of these specifics, yeah, then we get stressed out. Then we get nervous. Then we have anxiety. Here's the thing. Evangelism is all about show and tell. Show and tell compelling stories about what God is doing in you or what God is doing in others. Maybe the question to ask is, do you actually have a compelling story to tell? Is God actually transforming the character within you? Are you moved by the fact that he knows your name? Think about the song that we sang. He knows my name. How powerful is that? Does that matter? Can you tell that story? Show and tell compelling Stories of God's love and justice to create a refuge for the vulnerable. And then lastly, point people to light. So so often when I was learning about evangelism, it was making them aware of the darkness. You got to make sure that they know about the darkness. Because if you can get them to be really afraid, then they'll understand the need for light. Why do we do that? Why do we make that the starting point? Why can't we instead talk about how great the light is? Because we all understand the greatness of the light. And if I understand the greatness of the light, then I already know that the darkness is bad. Because of how great the light actually is. Keep pointing people to light. We don't use fear tactics. I don't know anybody that's been convinced to be part of the kingdom of God because the fear was so powerful within them. I know people that were manipulated into a certain way of thinking. But it wasn't the love of God that that drew them in. It was the fear of hell that drew them in. What's our compelling story? Point people to light. Now here's an interesting thing is that we get two conflicting messages from Jesus. We get one in, in John, in the gospel according to John, and then we get one in Matthew about the nature of light and how we point people to light. I want to show you this one in John real quickly, if I could. It says this, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. 
The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Jesus. So, so you're not the light. Jesus is. You just point people to Jesus. But then Jesus says something interesting in the book of Matthew. This is what he says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Okay, what? Uh, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So you're not the light, but you are the light, <laughs> if that helps. Here's the thing. I think about it, our term uh, that goes along with our vision, to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. We are torch bearers. Here's the thing. If Jesus is the torch, we're the one to carry it. We provide light. We get to be the conduit for the light that Jesus is in and through us. And then we get to bring that torch and just shine it into other areas of darkness and then point people to the light so they can see, so they can hear, so they can understand about the love and the justice that God has for us and our community. Just keep pointing people to the light and allow the light to move in and through you. There's no pressure. There's no process. There's no system that you have to follow but simply being a conduit for God's love and justice that is already transforming you from the inside out. I recognize some of you maybe have felt this pressure and some of you maybe have felt like a project even. Let's not treat people like projects. Let's treat them with the love and dignity that they deserve. Let's create a refuge for vulnerable people. Let's point them to light. Let's tell a compelling story that draws them into the love of God. Would you stand with me if you are able? I want you to close your eyes and as you exhale, inhale and exhale, release yourself from that pressure to just be better and do better. As our friend Kevin Butcher talks about trying to get rid of this idea of just do it Christianity. This pressure to just be a certain way, to do a certain thing. And the fear and the manipulation that comes along with that, I pray that you release that pressure. And instead, Remember and recognize how deep the Father's love for us is. Pray that you release the shame that you felt. Maybe you didn't feel like you did the right thing, you said the right thing. Maybe you've always been shy or scared to talk about your faith. But then that came with an additional set of rules and fear that you're not good enough because you didn't share your faith. Release yourself from that shame. Allow God's grace to fill you. God, we invite the Spirit to be manifest all the more that that fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control would continue to grow within us. 
Lead us to your will, your ways, your will. Lead us to your love. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that message. I just want to remind you that if you need any kind of support, whether that's prayer or just someone to talk to, uh, to be encouraged or uh, just to discuss what you're going through, feel free not only just to reach out to us personally, but fill out a Connect card. That's something that you can let us know on a Connect card and we'll reach back out. So I hope you enjoyed Pastor Jared's message. I hope he encouraged you uh, to evangelize, to share your testimony and powerful stories of what God is doing in your life with others. I hope that you have opportunities to do that this week and that when they come uh, via the Holy Spirit, I feel I hope that you feel empowered by him to share those stories uh, and that you see all of the ways that God can use our testimonies to move in other people's lives. So have a blessed week. Be on the lookout for those opportunities and we'll see you again real soon.